the book of Romans. So if you will, turn to Romans chapter 5. And my assignment tonight is Romans 5, verses 15 through 17. But because I love to preach the Word of God, and when I go to a text, I have to go back to what you have already looked at. And we're going to cover several things tonight. But I'm going to start reading tonight in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, and go through verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 17. So if you would, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. Now, I want you to remember that phrase, death reigned, in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him, a type of Jesus who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the man died, the, the one the many died, much more did by the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in condemnation. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, now I want you to remember this phrase, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for the power of your word. Father, I thank you for the songs that we have sung tonight. I thank you that you rescued us by your grace from our sinfulness. Because of your love for us, you sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins, rise again from the dead, to give us hope of salvation through him and only through him. And Father, I thank you for these college students that have gathered here tonight. And Father, I pray in these next few moments that you will speak to us through your word what you want us to know about you and how much you love us. And Father, you have come that we want to have life and life more abundantly. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit begin to speak to their heart right now to draw them to yourself. And Father, for those of us who know you as the Lord and Savior of our lives, I pray God tonight we'll leave here knowing that we live in victory over any and all circumstances, not because of anything we have done, but because of everything you have done through Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When we looked at this particular passage of Scripture, I had uh, picked a title for this message, and I picked the title, Nevertheless, Death Reigned. Based on what we see in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned. I love to take God's word and, and, and see uh, different phrases, different words in a passage of Scripture. Because if you see one word over and over and over again, 
it says in that particular passage of Scripture, God is trying to say something to us. And over and over in this particular passage, you're going to see the word gift. And the word gift is found five times all the way through the end of chapter from 15 through the remainder of chapter 5. Gift, 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 gift. And the greatest gift that you and I will ever receive in this life or any life is Jesus Christ. And in the receiving Jesus Christ as gift in this life, we have the hope of everlasting life in his presence. If we die without Jesus Christ, we will spend an eternity in a place called hell. Now, we live in a, a time of, this is 2020. There's been no year like it, amen? It is absolutely crazy. We have no idea what's going to happen from one day to the next. But we really should live our lives every day like we've lived our lives in 2020, not knowing what is coming day after day. We don't know if tomorrow when we go back to school, if one person has been diagnosed with COVID, you may have to spend the rest or the next 14 days in quarantine. That is horrible. How many of y'all been in quarantine? It's horrible. I do not like to be confined to my home, but something, sometimes those things happen. The greatest gift that we'll ever receive is Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul, the writer of the letter to the church in Rome, is trying to say to them. Now, when I look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 17, the first word we see in chapter 12 is therefore. And always, when we see the word therefore, or the word nevertheless, uh, we look to see why that word is there. So therefore, why is the word therefore there? It reaches all the way back to what you've already studied in Romans chapter 5 through the first uh, 12 verses. But let's just review what you have learned in the past several weeks in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This peace is only possible through Jesus Christ. And because we have peace with a holy God through Jesus Christ, we have access, we have our introduction to everything that belongs to God. Do you understand that if you're a child of the Most High God through Jesus Christ, everything God has is yours. Everything that God owns is yours. You are a child of the Most High God. You are an heir of all of the things of God. And so we, everything that He has belongs to us. So Paul is trying to say to those uh, believers in Rome, therefore, because you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God, and this is possible through Jesus Christ, we have access to all of God's stuff, and because of Jesus, we have been the recipients of God's amazing grace. Can someone describe to me God's grace? How would you describe God's grace? You want everyone to speak at one time. How would you describe it? That's a part of God's grace. He gave up his son for you and I. What, how would you describe grace? Sometimes we've heard it, God's unmerited favor. Most of us, well, unmerited, what does that mean, unmerited? We don't use the word merit or unmerited every day. It means there's absolutely nothing that you and I have done or will do to deserve God loving us the way he loves us. The song that you sung tonight, he rescued us. He came for us. He initiated our salvation. 
because our relationship with a holy God was broken in the Garden of Eden. And we see that in the, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But because of Jesus, we have been the recipients of God's amazing grace. And so when we see that in Romans chapter 5, we rejoice in these things. Now, the Bible describes God's grace these ways. There is, first of all, God's saving grace. And my prayer tonight is that you have been the recipient of God's saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God gives us faith to believe in Jesus Christ. That goes beyond our understanding. God gives us the faith to understand who he is. Because without faith, it is impossible, according to Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. And it's impossible to understand God. So listen, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have a relationship with God, my prayer already has been that through the message tonight, God would draw, him, draw you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And once you know him, once you have a saving knowledge of him, he gives us the ability, he gives us the faith to believe, and he gives us the faith to understand the things that are difficult for us to understand. So we have saving faith, and I praise God for saving grace. In Romans 5, verse 2, it says we have standing grace. Look in verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So God's word says there's saving grace, there's standing grace, and then there is singing grace. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness, singing with grace in your heart. Now, if you've been around very often when I've preached or I teach, I love to sing when I preach. I'm not going to do that to you tonight. I don't want to ruin your night. But I don't sing because I can sing well. I sing because I have a song in my heart that God gave to me, and I have joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and I can't help but sing how great my God is. And that's what Paul says in the book of Colossians, that he gives us singing grace and i love to sing because he has saved me i love to sing because i'm standing in the promises of god almighty i love to sing about his amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see now it doesn't mean physical blindness it means spiritual blindness and if we don't know god if we don't know god through jesus christ we're walking in darkness we're walking in blindness but once he opens our eyes to see him, we should be in awe of who he is. Now, one of these days, if it hasn't already happened in your life, someone is going to come into your life that your eyes are going to be open to them, and you're going to be in, you're going to fall in love with them, and you're going to see them as the one God has placed in your life, and you're going to you're going to go, wow, wow, wow. And when that happens, you know, wow. And you're going to sing, and you're going to shout, and you're going to praise the Lord that he has opened your eyes. Now, if we can be excited about a, 
a, a relationship on this side that opens our eyes to excitement, how much more when we see God, the creator of all things, how much greater is that joy in our lives when we know him for who he really is? There should be something different about our lives in every area of our lives because of the amazing grace of God in our lives. So we have saving grace, standing grace, singing grace, and then he gives us serving grace. Hebrews 12, verse 28 says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show grace by which we may serve God with reverence and awe. So there is saving grace, standing grace, singing grace, serving grace, and then 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says there is sufficient grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, I pray that you've never been through anything difficult enough in your life that, that you've had to experience that but if you live long enough and maybe you've gone through some very deep dark valleys in your life at your young age but the longer you live the more dark valleys you're going to face but the light that we need in the midst of that valley is jesus christ and his grace is sufficient for whatever we face it doesn't matter how difficult the path becomes it doesn't matter how dark the valley is our God is still in control. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 5 to Christians who are going through trial and tribulation and persecution because they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Following God is not always easy, but it is always right. And you're going to hear me say that over and over. Every church I have ever pastored, if I went back today and stood in the pulpit, I would say following God is not always easy. And all of them would respond by saying, but it is always right. And the longer I live as a 55-year-old man, the longer I live, I'm learning that following God is almost never easy. And in the culture that we live in today, it is becoming more and more difficult, but our God is still in control, and he will give us exactly what we need to be the witness, the light in this dark world. And I'm challenging you to let God be himself through you and in you each and every day because you are saved and you are standing and you can sing and you can serve and no matter what you're, you're facing, his grace is sufficient for you. And everybody said amen. Amen? Y'all are a rough crowd in here tonight. Y'all been at school all day. It's been a, it's Wednesday, but it's been a long week. Amen? How many of y'all watched the presidential election last night? I mean, debate. Phew, I stayed up till midnight watching all that. Listen, those boys need some saving grace, amen? Let me, let me say this. I have a neighbor who lives next door to me, and we've been praying for the opportunity for him and his wife to come and go to church with us, and we, we think they're believers. We're not sure if they're believers. They profess to be believers, but their walk doesn't line up with their talk. Because, listen, the Bible says if you are a child of God, the world will know you. You will know them by what? Their fruit. And if you're truly a child of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life and in my life is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, long-suffering. We will be like Christ because Christ is living in us. And the way we live, the way we walk, the way we talk, others will be in awe of that. And my neighbor said this to me the other day. He says, we've had the opportunity to have spiritual discussions. He said, let me ask you a question. Why do all of you Christians support Donald Trump and say he's your Christian president? And I want you to hear my heart here. I'm not trying to preach a political message, but this is a hot topic today. Just because you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior does not mean you're a child of God. And I've said this for the past four years and prior to Donald Trump being elected president. 
Donald Trump proclaims to be a Christian, but everything out of his mouth does not line up with what the Word of God says a Christian looks like. Now, I've had folks say, well, uh, who are you to judge? I'm not judging him. I'm saying Jesus says, I will know them by their fruit. The way they speak to other people, the way they talk about other people, the way they, the way they live their lives, it's Christ in them. So be careful in the culture that we live in uh, proclaiming that either Donald Trump or, or, or Joe Biden or whoever is a Christian, if they're truly a child of God, their actions will line up with Jesus Christ. Now, I do think this. Mike Pence, the vice president, he's the real deal. How do I know that? I know folks who know him. They have known him before he was vice president, and they said he has always been consistently consistent in his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you consistently consistent in your walk with Jesus Christ? Now, listen, you can say you love Jesus all day long, but if it's not coming out of your mouth and your actions, then people are going to look and say, what is that? Is that a Christian? No, no, no. That's not what a Christian looks like if it doesn't look like the Bible. It doesn't look like Jesus Christ. That is not Christianity. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. It's important that we let Christ be himself through us because old things have been passed away and all things have become brand new. But God will give, him, give us everything we need to live the Christian life in this culture that's screaming against Christianity. So when we look at the therefore in chapter 12, and I promise we'll get through this before morning. But I want us to see we've been justified by faith. We have peace through Jesus Christ, access to everything that God has because of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in tribulations knowing that we will persevere. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts, and all this is in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 5. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us, we have all of Christ that we need for every day. We have been reconciled to God, and the, the word reconciled means we've been reestablished into a proper relationship that has been broken. You and I had to be reestablished into a proper relationship with the Holy God. Why? Because of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you can eat of any tree you want, but stay away from the tree in the middle of the garden. Do not eat of that fruit. And here's what they did. They do exactly what you and I do. They didn't see how far away from the forbidden they could get. They got, it appears they got as close as they could to that tree with, without that tree having an effect on them. And, and you and I are the same way. We have a tendency to see how close to sin we can get and hope it does not have an impact on us. We need to flee from the things of the world. Get away from things that would lead us down the wrong path. But because of what they did in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan began to tempt them and say, did God really say? And that's the, the, the same tactics God used in Genesis chapter 3 is the same tactics he uses today. He, he tempts us to test his word. Is God's word true? You see, I believe from Genesis to Revelation, God's holy word is the inerrant, the infallible holy word of God. It's God's love letter to us. My wife is here tonight, and when we were dating, we used to write love letters to each other. And back in my day, we didn't have text. We didn't have the things you all have. I had to write a note to her, and I'd fold it up like a little football. Y'all still do that? Yeah, writing letters and sending them to girls. <laughs> oh, 
Got him, set him up. But you still fold up papers in football. Yeah, still. Well, listen, I would write a note to her. I love you. If you love me, check yes or no. And she would check yes most of the time. But every time we wrote letters to each other, and, he, and I have to admit this, she probably still has the letters I wrote to her. I don't have the letters that she wrote to me. Guys, just for some reason, we're just not as sentimental. Now, some guys are. I wish I had kept those. Now, now I keep letters, but those letters I didn't. But when I got a letter from her, I would read it again and again and again because I wanted to know exactly how she felt about me. I want you to understand that God, the creator of all things, has written a love letter to us, and it's this word. From Genesis to Revelation, that's why we should be in his word every day, seeing how much he loves us. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Our relationship to him was broken because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's what Paul is saying in the book of Romans, because of one man. Because of what Adam did in the garden. It broke the relationship between people and God. And because of that, one man had to come to reconcile us, to bring us back into a right relationship with a holy God. And when I begin to think about what God did for us, that we might have a relationship with Him, I am in awe of how much He loves me. I run to the Father because He first ran to me. He's running after you. He's saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest now and forever. He's not doing this to anybody. He's saying, come I want, I desire a relationship with you. And that's what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 5. When you look at Genesis chapter 5, you see that when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened, and they knew. And here's what I wrote. What did they know immediately? They knew immediately when, immediately when they sinned. They knew immediately when they had done what God said not to do. They knew immediately that things were not what they used to be. Immediately. They didn't know what nakedness was. Now listen, I've, I tried to, I practice saying the word naked because in Kentucky we say naked. Nakedness. Listen, they didn't know they were naked. Now we talk about nakedness today and we're like, that's a, a horrible thought. That wasn't a bad deal back then. They didn't know to look at one another and look in ways that they were not supposed to look. But immediately, their innocence was taken away. And because their innocence was taken away, your innocence was taken away, my innocence was taken away. Listen, we were born sinners. We were born in sin because of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. And, and therefore, from that point on, God began a plan of redemption, of reconciliation to bring us back to him because he desired that we have a relationship with him. A holy God desires an unholy people to have a relationship with him, and that's only possible by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So because of what they did, death reigned. When you look at Romans chapter 5, you see the words gift, but you also see the words sin. You also see the word death. You also see the word all. Sin, death, all. Sin, death, all. Sin, death, all. Death always follows sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So death always follows sin, for the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve didn't die immediately. First of all, they died spiritually. What they had in a relationship with God that was perfect, absolutely perfect. Well, our minds can't comprehend the perfect relationship they had with the Holy God. But when their innocence, when their, when, when their innocence was broken spiritually, something changed within them. They were, had broken relationship with the Holy God. And God said to them, you're going to die spiritually and you're going to die physically. When you look at Genesis chapter 5, it's the genealogy of Adam. And you see the phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And Methuselah, who lived 969 years, and he died. Over and over and over. And we're reminded when we look at Genesis chapter 5 that we are all, unless, I believe unless Jesus Christ calls his church home, all of us in this room at some point are going to die. I have been privileged to be raised in a home. Now, this is going to sound weird. To be raised in a home the first 14 years of my life, from birth to 14 years, I was surrounded by death. My dad was a funeral director and a mortician. So I've when I was... Born, I was born into a family that all I knew was seeing my dad dressed in a suit and a tie all the time and always talking about death, always going to a funeral home. And I used to go, I used to play in a funeral home. They all looked at me like, this guy is weird. And when my dad, uh, at some point in his career, decided to go to move to Louisville, Kentucky to go to embalming school. Have any of y'all ever been a part of embalming, seen the embalming process? You have? You're writing letters to girls and doing the embalming process. <laughs> this guy's got it going on, man. Listen, I'm telling you, it's something, it's, it's weird. But it's, it's different to what we're experiencing, and most people don't get to see those things. And I praise God, he allowed me to see that for 14 years of my life. It prepared me for being a pastor in ministry, because people die. And my prayer is always, Lord, take me quickly. Take me in my sleep. Take me by a massive heart attack. I don't want to linger long with the sickness, with the long sickness, because I've seen it. I've seen too much of, of death. But I've been around death all of my life. My sister and I used to play hide-and-go-seek in a funeral home in Louisville, Kentucky. And listen, she's a lot more brave than I was. When I would hide, I would become afraid, and I'd run to Mama. But I'd been around death all my life, but I'd never seen anyone die until I was a pastor. And the first lady I see, saw die was an, a lady by the name of Miss Dukely Brown. And I was in the hospital that day with her. It was just her and I in the room. And she was on a, a breathing machine. They took that breathing machine off, and she began to breathe slower and slower. And then she passed away. And it was the first time I saw someone pass from this life into everlasting life. Now, I didn't see her to go in the presence of the Lord, but I do know this. If you are a Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately and that she was a believer in the lord jesus christ and i saw death for the first time and i did not like it i'd been around death but i'd never seen anybody die i had been around death but i'd never seen anyone physically leave 
from this life into everlasting life. But in the 30 years I've been in the ministry, I've seen, after my first time of seeing someone die, I've seen many, many people take their last last breath on this side. Some to go into eternal life with Jesus Christ, and some to go into to eternal life separated from Christ. And I believe who are in hell, and those are difficult times to be with a family when they know there's no hope. There's a weeping and a wailing, a grieving there, that there is no hope. But when there's hope, when there's hope, we can live in joy, we can live in victory, because God's grace is sufficient even in those most difficult times. And all of us in this room, if we live long enough, we're going to face death. Death of those around us, death in our own lives. And so I ask you tonight, are you ready to face that day of death? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? The first person I remember dying that had an impact on me was my wife's best friend in high school, 18 years old. Her name was Jennifer Mack. My wife, Teresa, and her best friend, Jennifer, they were like sisters. They were inseparable. Teresa has a brother who was nine years older than her, but Jennifer, her best friend, listen, if you've ever had a best friend, girls, listen, you girls, your friendships, girls' friendships are much better than guys' friendships. I'm, I'm still amazed. Why do you girls, when you're in a restaurant or in a theater, or, or maybe you're here at the church, I need to go to the restroom. You want to go with me? Why do girls have to go in herds to the restroom? You never see a guy say, I'm going to the restroom. You're going to go with me. Amen? There's just something weird about that. I don't know why that came up, but it just... But anyway, that's the kind of relationship that Teresa and Jennifer, they loved each other. They traveled, vacationed together. But in the middle of Jennifer's senior year and Teresa's senior year of high school, Jennifer was diagnosed with a, a fast-moving cancer in her body. But Jennifer was a lost person when she was diagnosed with cancer. She was an unhappy person. Now, they were great friends, but Jennifer was lost without Jesus Christ. In the midst of her sickness, in the midst of her cancer, she trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to God be the glory for what he did in her life in that time. And her desire was to live long enough to graduate high school. And over and over, Teresa would say to me, she wants to live long enough to graduate high school. She wants to live long enough to graduate high school. And God blessed her with that. She walked across the bush, and she, weighed, she might have weighed 100 pounds when she graduated high school. We watched her physically deteriorate. I was seeing death work in her body. She wanted to live, but her body was breaking down. And we watched her decay. And she walked across that stage, got her diploma, and two days later, died. She went to be with Jesus. And I watched my wife grieve over the loss of her best friend. I saw her cry. I saw her wail. I saw her mourn, but... She was glad her suffering was over. Now, why do I share that with you now? Because we read this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 5, death, 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 one man, sin, death, 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 all. Because what Adam did in the garden, all of us are experiencing the effects of that. All around us, we're surrounded by death. And you may be this very night, have someone in your family that is going through difficult times, and you know Ultimately, they are going to die. Or maybe you've been through a situation where you've just come through losing a family member. It's difficult. It's hurtful. It's, it's bad. But we have hope in the middle of that, and that hope is Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us the joy in the midst of suffering. 
And why, why do people die? Because of sin. Not because of a specific sin, but because of the sin that Adam committed in the garden. It started a process that one man impacted us today. One man has impacted centuries of people, and they die, they die, they die, they die. And that's why one man had to come to die. Jesus. One man dies. One man sins. One man dies. One man salvation. One man redemption. One man reconciliation. One man hope. We're not worthy of what that one man did on the cross. And what the one man did in Genesis chapter 3 has affected multiplied millions. But grace is greater than all our sin. God's grace is sufficient for all our sins. And God's grace is sufficient to cover our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5, one man, Jesus, gives us life. One man, through one man, nevertheless, death reigned. Again and again and again, die and die and die and die. And we're surrounded by death. But even if we're surrounded by death as believers, we're surrounded by life. Our hope is in the life of the risen Savior, Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5. Death reigned. Verse 15 says, but, but the free gift. It's free. What does that mean? It means that you and I, there's nothing you and I can do to earn this free gift. It doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't cost you anything, but it costs God his everything. It costs God his only son. It's God's gift to us. But God so loved that he gave the greatest gift we will ever receive, his son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. Listen, one of these days, I'm going to take my last breath. I don't know when, but here's what I know. I'm not going to die. I'm going to cease to live on this side, but as soon as I take that last breath, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I know that. Now, I hope my wife will mourn if I'm gone. But I've said to her, listen, when I die, I don't, what have I told you I don't want? Funeral. I don't want a funeral. We're going to have to go over this again, babe. <laughs> you, you don't want to open, I don't want no casket. Put me in a pine box. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Listen, we're going to go back to dust. I do not want, listen, I don't want people coming by my casket and gawking over my body and say, don't he look good? I'm dead. Well, I'm alive. I'm more alive than I'll ever be. But listen, I've got a big nose. I don't want people looking at my big nose. Man, he did have a big nose. <laughs> I said, put me in a pine box. Listen, have a graveside service. Have a pizza party. Bring some friends over. Just rejoice. I am in the presence of the Lord. The only way that I can say that is because I know I'm going to be with my maker. I'm going to be with God who loved me first 
who rescued me from my sinfulness. One man, Jesus, saved me. One man, Jesus, redeemed me, and I know that. And so I rejoice in knowing what I know in Jesus Christ, and it is a free gift given to me by God. It's also a grace gift. What does that mean? It means that it's all about God. It is His plan. It's His gift. It's His idea. It is His plan of salvation. How can we describe God's grace? We can't. We can't. It was even difficult when I asked you to describe God's grace. It's difficult for us to describe God's amazing grace. It is marvelous. It's infinite. It's matchless. It is freely bestowed on all who believe. There are not enough adjectives in our language to adequately describe God's amazing grace. We didn't do anything to deserve it. And God's response to me, God's response to you, is grace. Grace is God's favor toward the undeserving. That's me and that's you. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell. We deserve being separated from God, but God so loved that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Can you tell I believe it's real? Can you tell I know he's real in my life? I pray that for you. I pray that if you know Christ, man, let others see Jesus in you. In this time that you're passing through, listen, I remember, how old are you guys, 19, 20, 21? Anybody over 21? Ooh, how old? 22. Now, now I don't mean you old folks. I know I, there's some other old folks, folks in here. These are the chaperones, so to speak. Listen, I, you won't turn around twice. And I can say this with all sincerity. You won't turn around twice. You're going to be 55 years old and say, wow, it went by fast. Fat, just like that. What is your life? It is as a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it's gone. So in this time that we have on this earth, we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Why do we need a Savior? Because of one man, Adam. And who do we need? The one man, Jesus Christ. He is our only hope because death reigns. Death reigns. Nevertheless, death reigns, but the free gift is not like the transgression. In righteousness, we have been given the opportunity to reign. Look in verse 17 of Romans chapter 5. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned. Through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. I've got that phrase, abundance of grace, circled and underlined in my Bible. Because God's grace is abundant. It is overflowing. It is, it's never-ending. The abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. When we are the recipients of God's grace, when we are the recipients of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, then we also get His righteousness. Through an abundance of grace, we get an abundance of righteousness because there is none righteous, no, not one. The Word of God says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no righteousness in us. Even on our best day, we're still not acceptable before a holy God. The only way that you and I are acceptable to a holy God is by the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, that's a great hymn. That great hymn came from 
the love letter of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So with an abundance of grace, we get an abundance of righteousness, and it's not our righteousness, it's God's righteousness. So when we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we'll reign in life. Underline that. Circle that. We reign in life. Now, it's, it's completely different, the opposite of what verse 14 says. Nevertheless, death reigns. But if we know Jesus, if we've been born again, if we've been the recipients of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, we reign in life. What does that mean? It means we win. Even in death, we win. Even in sickness, we win. Even in difficulty, we win. Even if our hearts are broken, we win. Because our focus is not on us, it's on Him who gives us the victory in every circumstance. Well, how do I know that? Turn to Romans chapter 8. I want you to understand that what God says in one passage of Scripture, He'll say it again. He doesn't change His mind. We serve a never-changing God in an ever-changing world, but His Word stays the same. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, we all know this passage of Scripture, and we know that God works all things together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. But skip down to verse 35. Paul says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, but in all these things we are more than conquerors. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him, through Jesus, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or in, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, that, that means that no matter what we face, we win by an overwhelming margin, not because of anything we've done, because our victory is in Jesus who gave us victory in his death and resurrection all because of our sinfulness. And it was God's plan. It was God's way. It was God's idea for us to have a relationship with him. So what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5, he says in Romans chapter 8, and he also says, and I'm going to close with this because I'm, I'm sure I'm running out of time. I'm almost out of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, several months ago when I was with you, I preached a sermon about how do you smell. Now, I'm not preaching that sermon tonight, but I want you to read this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And Paul had been through many difficult trials and tribulations, but God was still faithful. God was giving him, he was, an, he was a, a super conqueror. He was more than conquering through every situation. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in victory in Christ, and manifests through us in every circumstance, wherever we go, 
He manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. So when are we victorious? Always and in every place. No matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what I go through in my life, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how overwhelming it may be to me, I still am a super conqueror. I overwhelmingly win because I triumph and my victory is in Jesus Christ. And there's a sweet aroma of Him in us and through us. When? Always. And in every place. And if in our circumstances that we don't have the sweet aroma of Christ in us, it's not because of Him not wanting to be Himself through us. It's because we've decided not to, as believers, to let Him live through us, even in the most difficult circumstances in our lives. But, if you're here and don't know him as Lord and Savior, then you are already defeated. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you are living in defeat right now, even though everything may be wonderful in your life right now. You may have a good job, good school, good relationships, good everything, but if you don't know Christ, you are already defeated. So my prayer is that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We overwhelmingly conquer because of one man Jesus and because of one man death that reigns we can live reign in life because of him and he wants us to reign victoriously for his honor and glory each and every day as we prepare for a time of invitation my prayer is that you if you don't know Christ tonight or maybe come to this altar and say I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior Or maybe if you know him as Lord and Savior, that you would come to this altar and say, God, I want you to be the sweet aroma in and through my life. I want others to see you in my life and hear you in my life in every situation. Because Jesus wants to bless you and you be a blessing for him always and in every place. Let's pray.